This is the Westwards podcast, a fortnightly production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. Western Sydney is located on the traditional lands of the Darug, Gunungurra and Tharawal nations, and we acknowledge and offer our respects to all Indigenous people and to their Elders past, present and emerging. Opinions and views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the Westwards organisation. If you'd like to ask questions, offer feedback or simply learn more about what we do at Westwards, please visit westwards.com.au. All right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to today's podcast from Westwards. My name is James Roy. I am your host for today. I am a writer, but I am also the program manager for Blue Mountains and Blacktown for Westwards. Today is May the 4th, 2020, and we come to you from uh, sunny Blue Mountains today, where we are all still locked down, although restrictions did lift slightly yesterday, apparently. We'll wait and see how long that lasts for. It might last for a long time. It may not last very long at all. Who knows? But in the meantime, we are all at home doing what we do. For some of us, that means putting together programs for writers and audience members and anyone interested in story in Western Sydney. For others, it's actually putting together those stories and doing that writing. For others, it's just going about the everyday. Whatever you spend your time doing while we're all locked down, we wish you all the best and hope that you are safe and successful whilst doing it. We have an interesting program lined up for you today. Uh, we have the quote of the day, as always. We have an interview with Pete Schmigel, who we uh, I mentioned a fortnight ago that I was going to be interviewing Pete, but I hadn't got around to it at that stage. We were still working out the best time to do it. But since then, we have done it. Had a lovely chat with Pete. It was originally going to be a very short chat. It ended up being slightly longer than very short. But uh, it was a really interesting chat, and I think you'll enjoy having listened to that. We've also got some news to share with you about some of the uh, online resources we are preparing for writers and uh, and uh, other creators and people who love all things to do with storytelling uh, in Western Sydney. Today's quote of the day, uh, I've taken a little bit of a different tack today. Ordinarily, uh, we would go with somebody who was born on this day or sometimes someone who died on this day. But today we're going to take a slightly different angle because today is May the 4th. May the 4th is, over the last couple of years, has become known as Star Wars Day. And if you don't know why May the 4th is Star Wars Day, just say the date a few times. I'm sure you'll get it. So today isn't going to be a quote by someone born on this day or who died on this day. It is actually going to be a quote from somebody to do with Star Wars. Now, there's a few people we could have chosen, we could have gone with, uh, perhaps, almost said Matt Lucas. Matt Lucas is a different person, isn't he? <laughs> He's the, um, the slightly rounder of the two uh, gentlemen who made Little Written. Uh, no, I'm talking about, I could be talking about George Lucas, who created Star Wars, but I'm not. I could talk about uh, Harrison Ford, but I won't. I'm going to talk about Carrie Fisher, now, Carrie Fisher was born to, um, well, Hollywood royalty. 
Her dad was a big player in Hollywood. Her mum was Debbie Reynolds. Uh, and uh, But she became known as quite a young actress for playing Princess Leia in, uh, in Star Wars. Uh, very popular, very witty, uh, went on to play a number of other roles. We became a very successful novelist as well. A very funny lady who uh, you go to YouTube and check out some of her her uh, interviews she had on talk shows and so forth. She was hysterically funny. But I've got a couple of quotes for you. Um, there's two, in fact, and they're, they're, I think they're fairly clo- closely linked. She said, what I always want to tell young people now, pay attention. This isn't going to happen again. Rather than try to understand it as it's going along, have a go along for a while and then understand it. And the other one is this. You don't have to wait to be confident. Just do it and eventually the confidence will come. It's pretty good advice, I think, for anyone who is in the creative arts. Uh, we kind of want to go, um, I need to understand how I'm doing it. I need to go off and do the course or whatever and try and understand how to do this. But there is something to be said for just trying it, just getting in there and doing it. And a lot of the mini masterclasses that we've been putting together uh, where we talk about talk with different writers about the way they operate and the way they create, there seems to be a common theme that comes through that uh, there's something to be said for just having a bit of a go and giving it a crack and experimenting and coming back and trying again and seeing if that worked and seeing if that, something else worked better and uh, not trying to understand it so much as just get it done and as, as you go on in your career, you start to understand how and why these things work. And that's why it's good to go to, the, uh, go to people who have done it in the past, people who are experienced, and seek their advice. And that's something that we tr- do try to uh, do here at Westwards is to help people have access to those who've gone before who actually know how to do what they do and have been through those lacks of confidence, those crises of confidence and come out the other side going, ah, now I understand how I do this. So I suppose the take-home message there is just try it and then when you have the chance, ask other people who've already done it how they did it. You don't have to take their advice. You don't have to follow exactly what they say, but it's always good to hear different people's views on how things are done. In the podcast of a fortnight ago, I spoke about Pete Schmigel, who is a writer in residence. He's also the CEO of Recycling Australia. He was the CEO of Lifeline. He's a blogger and a non-fiction writer. And he, a couple of weeks ago, or some weeks ago, wrote a blog post about the challenges people will be facing due to COVID-19. And then his mother passed away from COVID-19 in New York. And he wrote a fairly... Uh, moving or very moving piece in the Sydney Morning Herald about his mother and about her death and about how the life that she led and the person she was should be what defined her, not the fact that she was one of the statistics of COVID-19. It was a very moving piece. I really recommend you go out there and and look for it. It's uh, available from Sydney Morning Herald. And I contacted him and asked if he would be happy to have a very short interview with us on the podcast and I said to him at the time if it's too soon just let me know and he said no this is what writers do when we when we are sad we write and when we are in times of joy we write and so he was very uh, very kind and and agreed to let me contact him via zoom and have a chat with him it was going to be a very short interview it ended up being a little bit longer than that but 
It was a really interesting chat and I think you're going to enjoy it. So here is uh, here's the conversation I had with Pete Schmiggel a couple of weeks ago. Peter Schmiegel, thanks so much for talking to me. Um, let's start by, uh, I just want to pass on my condolences in person for, um, for the loss of your mother. Um, I think a lot of people read the piece that you wrote in the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. I, I noticed when I was doing some research uh, that you'd written a piece in your, on your blog uh, mere days before about, about a whole bunch of factors around this idea of isolation and, and so forth. And then lo and behold, three days later, your, your beloved mother passed away. Um, can you talk us through some of the, the processes that went along with this experience, if, you, if you're happy to do that? Death is basically normal. You know, we, we, we all kind of, at some point of our lives and, and indeed our, our kind of creative journeys also kind of grapple with, you know, what is death? What does it mean to me? Um, and, you know, a lot, of, a lot of us have elderly parents at, at this kind of age in our lives and we kind of become philosophical about the fact that, you know, these folks aren't going to be here forever. This is what their lives meant, etc. So death in a kind of way is normal. But what happened for our family was, you know, death by COVID was something that you would never conceive of. You know, it's, you know, if you sat around five years ago and said, oh, how's it likely for mom to go out? You know, you wouldn't say to yourself, there's going to be a global pandemic and we're going to be separated by 15,000 kilometers. And the only way that we're going to be able to interact with each other as a family or indeed to be brutal with her corpse is through digital technology. So, you know, that has been a very weird experience to try to, how do you produce intimacy? How do you produce love for the people that you care for? How do you grieve? How do you appropriately mourn when everything is actually happening on a screen? Mm. Uh, it's one, one of the ways I was trying to describe it is it, it's, as, it's kind of weird in the way that being on a glass bottom boat is weird, right? You know, that, you know, there's a, there's a real ocean down there and there are real fish and there's a real ecosystem and stuff like that. But I'm sitting, you know, in this kind of removed position with these fat tourists and, you know, and, and this guy trying to describe to me what's going on there. It's you're there and you're not there. It, 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 it kind of messes with the head and it messes with the soul. What prompted you to write this piece? I mean, obviously you were deeply grief-stricken by the passing of your mother and all these other factors you're describing, but what, what, what was it that made you go, this is something that I really feel like I need to write that can be public? Was there a need you, you saw or was it really a cathartic thing for yourself? What was the main thought process behind doing this? I mean, I think every piece of writing ultimately is personal on some, some level. It's always, you know, a little bit about vanity and sanity, I suppose. Um, but I thought... There was a broader principle here that that I uh, was interested in and I was thinking about when I sat down to write it, and that is um, the people who are dying by COVID-19 are literally not just numbers. You know, you turn on the news every night and, you know, you get the Australian statistics of how many are unwell, you get the Australian statistics of how many new cases, how many deaths. You know, it's become a little bit like, you know, a weird kind of drawing of the Powerball lottery every night, Yeah. And, you know, I, I looked at all that and I get it. I mean, you know, we have a, uh, you know, this compulsion with facts and data in our society. Fair enough. You know, it, it serves a purpose objectively. But I felt that, you know, it's appropriate, perhaps through my mother, to, to kind of honor the broader 
collective of people who are dying by COVID-19, that, that, the, that, that their legacy and their memory isn't just, the uh, isn't just formulated by the cause of their death, right? But that these people have achieved a lot in their lives, whether it's my mom or it's anybody else, families and careers and loving relationships and contributions to society, you know, that, that we should kind of reflect on all those things as well as the fact that COVID-19 happened to take them out. Right. Mm. So I think that was probably my primary motivation was, yeah. you know, to kind of honor, honor life as opposed to fetishize, mm. I suppose, COVID-19. Yeah. I mean, I, a quote that I often, I often use when I'm talking about storytelling theory, especially to, to young writers is um, Jason Stalin, who, who of course said, um, the death of a million is a mere statistic, but the death of one is a tragedy. And I, I remember seeing that footage of the, those mass graves, that's a horrible term, but that's what they are in New York with the, the coffins all lined up. And, um, and uh, at the same time, it wasn't until I read up your piece and pieces like yours that made me actually go, yeah, these are actual real people who are... And so I think that's partly why it resonated with me. Well, it, interesting that you raised the, the image, right? The, that image is from a place called Heart Island, and Hard Island is a tiny little island. I think it's less than 500 meters long. That's off the coast of the Bronx uh, in New York City. And it's the traditional potter's field of New York City going back to the Civil War when uh, unidentified soldiers were buried at Hard Island. Um, so it's, it's a very gripping and compelling place because it, it is... It embodies the kind of the history of the dead of New York. Um, and, and again, you know, um, uh, prisoners from Rikers work there. Prisoners from Rikers, our main prison, have been buried there historically because uh, it's the potter's field. I, I guess my point here is, you know, it's a very real place. You know, it, it, there's, you know, it's a physical island. You have to get on a boat and get there. There's people who actually take these boxes, put them in the ground. Mm. Uh, uh, there was a story last week in the Times that there wasn't enough uh, PPE for the guys who are doing the burial work, mm. um, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, again, you know, it, it, it's kind of easy in this, in this flood of information about COVID and corona to kind of forget exactly your point that you know that there are these individual tragedies that there are these individual stories that are taking place in this context and it's not just you know this kind of debate uh, on the news by political officials and who people and and it's not flattening the curve mm -hmm. it's human i mean i i much as i would love to get into the politics of all this i'm not going to just because it's not really the, the time or the place to do that except to, to ask you as a native new yorker from from queens i think it must break your heart to see what's happening in new york and, and america at, at large you know it's awful it's awful on so many levels i mean one of the most disturbing stories uh, that i came across was um I'll make it personal. When my mother uh, was recovering from uh, a surgery in New York last, and we spent a long time with her, um, every day we would walk into the rehab hospital, and outside the rehab hospital was a petrol station. And at that petrol station, every day there are about 35 or 40 uh, uh, Latin American men standing there. And, you know, I go back and forth to New York a lot, but still this fascinated me. I asked people, what's going on here? And what it is, it's the practice of contractors rolling up on a casual basis every morning, 
pointing to one, two, three, however many guys, getting them to jump on the truck, and they work as day laborers for cash because they're all illegal. And effectively, so much of the, the, the building economy and the kitchen economy in New York City relies on this category of illegal people from Latin America. Mm. So, you know, I, you know, I was observing these guys, I was thinking about their lives, I was thinking about, geez, you know, how brutal is that just as a, as a lifestyle to not know where your money's going to come from. You stand there on this corner and hope that somebody decent picks you up in a ute, right? Um, sure enough, one of the, the, the horrible side stories, God, side story, whatever you wish to call it, uh, of COVID is a lot of these guys fear going to hospital during COVID-19. Mm. because that requires them to produce documentation, to talk about their immigration histories. Uh, the, the fear of getting sent out of America uh, is stronger than the fear of dying, right? So there are now documented cases of Latin American migrants living in their cars for up to 10 and 15 days at a time when they've self-diagnosed with COVID-19 and then literally crawling into the hospitals when they can bear no more. And I go, what is happening in this country that my parents migrated to, were accepted as displaced persons to, Mm. political refugees to, you know, uh, on the promise that, you know, this was at that point in time, this one place that that literally showed them compassion, that, that gave them a new start after, you know, communism and, and the horrors of World War II and all of that. How have we gone in, in a couple of generations to being a society where migrants are afraid to go to hospital when they're sick? Yeah, indeed. That, that, it's just, you know, and that just blows me away about, you know, how the texture of America has somehow sneakily changed over the last 30, 40 years. And, you know, and it's not just about Trump. I mean, these things don't happen overnight. You know, something broader is going on there, this kind of fragmentation of, you know, the the social contract that was America. I had a conversation with um, a friend who lives in America. Um, He's an American retired journalist and uh, he he regularly puts up posts on Facebook. He lives in Annapolis and he was, you know, he's fiercely democratic um but uh i i replied to him on facebook about uh his how much it saddened me to read his posts and he said he said trump's not the cause trump is a symptom and then he he sort of went on a little bit further on that but that's a conversation for another time just before we wrap up and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today you were once the ceo of lifeline and um you're still on the board for us australian men's health forum and roses in the ocean is that correct yeah we've talked a lot about mental health especially for men but let's talk generally um mental health in the last few years around the drought and and um, economic stress and and housing stress and and all these all these factors that's all kind of shifted slightly hasn't it do you fear that we're going to see a huge upturn in suicide based on isolation and that sort of thing look you know um is social isolation a factor in uh, suicidality in our country? Absolutely. And um, it tends to have greater impact on men than women uh, for a whole variety of reasons, probably because a lot of the other factors line up with men, like living in regional areas, primarily relationship breakdown, uh, poor general health, Uh, that also is a kind of comorbidity around suicidal thinking. But I am also cautious about, 
you know, just, just kind of drawing a direct line between, okay, we had a drought. Okay. We had the bushfires. Okay. We're having COVID-19 and therefore we're going to have a lot more people um, who uh, will tend towards suicide for a couple of reasons. First reason is suicide is an extremely complex phenomenon. Mm. Um, you know, it's, 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 it has been studied for decades and it is still not well understood in terms of, you know, those last minutes. And often it is a case of last minutes, not people with mental health issues. A lot of the time it's these 10 and 15 minute long windows of, of kind of thought processes being wildly different from what they normally are. So, so I think that's one reason is suicide is very complex and it's, you know, it's, it's not appropriate to kind of generalize too much about causality. The second reason is, People are amazing, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and uh, there, we shouldn't underestimate, uh, underestimate people. Um, to give you a context, you know, so for example, about three and a half thousand people die by suicide in this country every year, more than a hundred thousand attempted. And that means that, you know, 97% of people who attempt, uh, attempted suicide did not succeed for lack of a better term. And the research shows that they actually go on to have, uh, have completely healthy, normal, productive lives in the main. Yeah. Um, which basically speaks to human resilience. And even in, in this situation, you know, for all the people who might be feeling more isolated and more vulnerable, et cetera, et cetera, it is in fact those same people who actually often find those additional strength and then those additional resources within themselves. They do get on Zoom. They do have a nice chat with the guy serving the coffee, et cetera, et cetera. So, so yeah, my, my, my hope at least and I hope I'm not looking through the world too much through rose-colored glasses at the moment, is that this is also an opportunity uh, for people to reflect a little bit more on, you know, what's really important, you know? Mm. What, what are the connections that I really value and, and how do I actually build them more during this time uh, as opposed to, you know, a kind of view that, you know, I'm a victim of all this or, you know, you know woe, woe is me. I actually do, do have a ha glass half full perspective that, you know, people, a lot of people are using this opportunity to actually step up in terms of self-care. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess the other complicating factor in this is the fact that a lot of people are undergoing economic stress through job losses or, or, or less work, especially, you know, and this is certainly true in the entertainment industry, but it's a true across yeah. the board. And so it's not just the isolation. It's also that huge economic stress that is people who would in the past have gone, well, you know, I'm not a farmer. I don't have to worry about the drought so much as long as I can keep buying my bread and milk. It's all good. And suddenly they discover they, they can't even afford a coffee. Yeah. And, you know, people like me, you know, need to also be very careful of, you know, the fact that, you know, I have, I have a privileged position in society, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, when you look at the data, uh, economic hardship, and disadvantage is amongst the, the leading social factors or contributors to suicidality and to mental health. I mean, you know, this is a, a horrible stat. Um, beyond the Blue Mountains, there are a grand total of three practicing psychiatrists. Great. Three. In New so, yeah, who are permanently in the country. So all these regional areas and country towns are, in fact, serviced by fly-in, fly-out psychiatrists uh, at the base hospitals and places like that. So, you know, if you are genuinely in the need of uh, a, a script, a, a medical diagnosis around mental health, you think about the fact that we've basically got to take potentially hundreds of thousands of people in country New South Wales and funnel them through 
a handful of psychiatrists. And when you talk about a 15-minute a window, for example, and you can't get an appointment for three weeks or whatever, that, that and, those things don't and the, work. Yeah, and then there's the additional complication that, you know, private clients, people who can afford these things, as opposed to, you know, your, your opening comment, you know, the vast majority of folks, you know, pulling $250 out of the pocket for an hour with a psychiatrist, yeah. This is not a simple thing, you know, and so, yeah, that there is genuine cause for concern that, uh, that, you know, the, the economic downturn, that the cure for COVID could be significantly impactful in terms of, you know, people's well-being uh, mentally, for sure. Indeed. Well, look, I'm not going to hold you up anymore because I, I, I know you're at work and busy and, um, but we certainly appreciate you taking the time to have a chat with us today. And again, all the, uh, our, our thoughts to you and your family in this um, pretty tricky time for you. Um, and uh, we'll talk again soon, I hope. Thank you, James. Keep writing. So that was Pete Schmigel. Uh, and if you'd like to read more of his work and his, his words, uh, because he is a very eloquent speaker and a very eloquent writer who's got some real wisdom to share, you can find his blog at Pete Schmigel. That's P E T E. S-H-M-I-G-E-L.com, peachmiggle.com. I'd like to share with you some of the projects that Westwards has been working on. Uh, as we've discussed previously, we're, like everyone else, we're trying to establish a bit more of an online presence uh, to support not just people who want to be writers and creators and who are working in the creative field, but also provide some kind of monetary support through paid gigs to uh, actual creators, uh, published writers and so forth within Western Sydney. Part of this has been our mini masterclasses, which of course you can find on the mini masterclass podcast channel, uh, which is probably alongside the podcast channel you're looking at right now. Every week we're putting up two more of these. Uh, the last one was Melina Marquetta talking about writing from a point of point of view of identity, and also uh, Tim Harris talking about setting. But a couple of weeks ago, we had Fiona Wright. Now Fiona Wright is a uh, we're doing a bit of stuff with Fiona just at the moment, uh, and I'll explain what I mean by that. First of all, we had her doing a masterclass about uh, life writing, and uh, then she has just recently put up the second of our readings from Western Sydney Writers series. Now, the videos I'm going to talk about are all available on the Westwards YouTube channel. So if you were to go to West, go to YouTube and search Westwards Official, all one word, Westwards Official, you'll find a whole raft of videos there that you can have a look at. There's some interviews, and I've recently just completed an interview with Zoe Ghani, which is up now on that platform, but there's also uh, the readings, by Western Sydney writers, uh, more interviews with other writers as well as the uh, holiday workshops and so forth that we did previously. Now the reason I mentioned that we've been doing a bit of, uh, bit of work with Fiona lately is that Fiona has very kindly agreed to uh, be our guest at the Hemingway's Polydactyle Kitten Club and Speakeasy, or as we are now calling it, Hemingway's Virtual Polydactyl Kitten Club and Speakeasy, which is available uh, to anyone who wants to turn up on uh, Monday evening, which is tonight, if you're listening on the day of release, the 4th of May, May the 4th. 
but if you were to go to uh, our website, you will find a link on there to this Monday's meeting or this Monday's gathering of the Kitten Club. It's a spoken word event. People are encouraged to come along and to actually uh, read something that they might have written or share something they might have come across that they feel is important or useful or valuable or simply something they just want to share. But we always we have lucky door prizes. Uh, ordinarily it's a paid gig, but of course at the moment it's free. Uh, but we also have Fiona Wright coming in as a special guest and speaking. As a little bit of a teaser, I just want to play a little bit of what she had to say when she did the mini masterclass. Usually what happens when I start an essay is um, I get I get very obsessed with, with the questions, like an itch in my brain. Um, and, and often something happens in my life that crystallises that, or I've just been reading a lot on a particular subject, and I'm trying to figure out why I'm obsessed with it and why I can't quite let it go. Can you give us an example from... Can you give us an example from your from one of your um, essays, how how that process worked? Yeah, when I when I kind of joke about a lot was um, when I was about a year and a half into writing, the world was whole. I, I knew I was writing a book about home um, and and kind of domesticity in in many ways at that point, and was just starting to kind of pull together ideas around that, and we got evicted. Um, <laughs> So suddenly I was like, oh, interesting. I'm a term renter um, because, you know, I live in Sydney and I'm, I'm a millennial. It, um, I don't eat avocado toast, but that's, an, but that's another story. So I have a very different experience of what home and housing is like to my parents' generation. And part of that is instability and not knowing how long you're going to be in a house for. And I started thinking about what it means to, to build a home um, under those conditions and especially the part where you know it's it's temporary and that the decision to leave is probably not going to be yours. So that was a kind of really nice moment of life kind of giving me the, the impetus um, to kind of crystallise the vague ideas that were swimming around in my head. So that's the remarkable Fiona Wright who's going to be our guest at the Polydactyl Kitten Club and Speakeasy. Uh, on Monday the 4th of May, which is, as I say, if you're listening to the podcast on the day of release, that's this evening. If not, it's uh, perhaps a little late, but we are going to try and record it. So hopefully it'll be on the YouTube channel for you. If you do want to get aboard, um, you can go to our website and it'll be on there, westwords.com.au. You can you can find Hemingway's Polydactyle Kitten Club and Speakeasy on Facebook. Or I can just give you the Zoom meeting ID now. So if you know anything about getting onto Zoom, you can do it on your phone or on your computer, on your iPad, whatever. But if you go there, it's a free meeting. It's a Zoom meeting ID 8281929136. That's 8281929136. So if you jump onto that, uh, just before 7 o'clock, we'll let you in and you can take part. So remember that there are philosophers available if you want to share something. There are lucky door prizes. Uh, BYO BYO cocktails, of course, because ordinarily this would be held at a cocktail bar, but we don't do that at the moment. And uh, because we can only see from the waist up, pants are, of course, entirely optional. 
So that's our podcast for today. Uh, We'll see you in a fortnight. In the meantime, keep an eye out on our podcast channels and on our YouTube channel and on our website for other events and other features that we're currently putting up. School has gone back, so if you are a teacher who is looking to augment the way you deliver your online lessons uh, around matters of uh, creativity and uh, creative writing and so forth, please get in touch with us, admin at westwords.com.au or you can go straight to our website, westwords.com.au. There are links all over the place there for the various things we do. Go to our YouTube channel, uh, search at uh, YouTube Official is the name of the channel. Everything's on there. We'll see you in a fortnight. Uh, And until then, stay safe and happy creating. (laughs) 